everything worthwhile is uphill. That's a quote by John Maxwell. He's a leadership guy that sort of writes uh, from a Christian perspective on leadership. Everything worthwhile is uphill. The quote is John Maxwell's, but the concept is the Bible's. The Bible teaches this reality. It paints this picture for us. Think about your life. If you want a good marriage, that will require effort. If you want a good career, that will require planning and diligence and effort. If you want to have good relationships, if you want to achieve some noble, worthy goal, those things will require all kinds of effort. It will be uphill. The opposite tends to be true, by the way. Most of what comes easy is not good. Not all, but much of what comes easy is not good. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what about grace? What about forgiveness? That wasn't uphill for you, but was that uphill for Jesus? Absolutely. Everything worthwhile is uphill. There's effort required. And this is the narrative of the scriptures. Now, tops on this list is something that invades every aspect of your life every day if you are a follower of Jesus. And it's this. It's your own purity. Your integrity in what you say and what you do and what you think does not come easy to you. It is uphill. What we're going to look at today is this reality that God requires holiness. God requires your holiness. And holiness will require death to self and self-discipline. Holiness requires death to self and self-discipline. We'll look at that from the scriptures today. I want to show you the scripture that was just read in the context of this song we just sang. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Work toward holiness. Why? Because everything worthwhile is uphill. So we're going to be wading into the all-important truth today that disciples are disciplined. Without exception, disciples of Jesus are disciplined. My prayer is that each of us can look year over year over year of our Christian walk and say that we have grown in our discipline. Now, before we do that, what I want to do is I want to go back. I want to kind of loop back to the last two weeks, which talked about this reality that disciples disciple. And we don't just make disciples, we make disciples the way Jesus does. Remember those who travel over land and sea, and when they make a convert, they make him twice as much a son of hell as they are? That's discipleship apart from Jesus. That's un-Jesus-like discipleship. That's not what we're talking about. Let me preface the fact that disciples are disciplined by saying this, that sometimes in the name of discipline... There are disciples made in Christ that are twice the sons of hell as the person discipling them. In other words, they are doing it in a works-based manner, which absolutely erases the grace of Jesus Christ. We know that your salvation, my salvation, is never, ever, ever, hear me, ever, based on something we add to the work Jesus did. 
ever so that no one can boast in their works. So here's what I want to do this morning. Um, I'm going to have two microphones going around, and the reason for this is when I ask a question and you're giving feedback, we can all hear what's going on, but people outside and people in YouTube land can't hear you. So I want you to speak into the microphone as I ask this question, and I want, this is a real question with real responses, so guys, if you can get up up and uh, grab the microphones, we'll have one over here, one over here, just raise your hand so I can kind of see you, and here's what I want to ask. Um, We we, we talked about the idea that discipleship is constrained when it's complicated. In other words, if it's just a few chosen few who are trained through years of theological study, those are the ones who are supposed to make disciples, that's going to limit, that's going to make a pinch point. That is not what Jesus said. He said to all disciples, go and make disciples. So that's on every disciple is that we disciple. So here's the question. How is it that this statement is true? How has this maybe been true in your life? That once it has gotten complicated, maybe it's just gotten complicated in your own mind. That I need to disciple someone. Well, I don't really know what that is and all of that. So here's the question to you. And I'd love to hear some actual answers, particularly from those saints who've maybe walked a while and been through this. Um, But what has caused you not to disciple someone else? What has caused you specifically not to disciple someone else? And has it ever been the fact that it was complicated in your mind or you didn't know where to start? So by raise of hands, um, let me hear from some of you, what has stopped you from making disciples? It's not knowledge. We all know we're supposed to go and make disciples, but things stop us. What has stopped you from making disciples in the past? Someone's going to have to take a risk and be the first one. Eric's in the back. Go ahead and get to Eric in the back. And then Henderson's will get you guys next. Well, for me, sometimes uh, I rationalize and I think, well, that's probably someone else's ministry. Mm. You know, I'm already doing this or that. I'll let someone else who, who is more capable of that, mm-hmm. you know, doing it. That's one reason. And the other one is that sometimes I don't feel like fully prepared, mm. especially with like so many arguments and reasons that people can give, you know, not to believe. Sometimes I feel that I should know more to be able to have good conversations, especially in this area where, you know, everyone is so well-educated. So two things jump out. One is it's someone else's responsibility. Someone's probably discipling that person. They're they're probably covered, right? Uh, But secondly, that's a really common one, Eric, I think for all of us, which is I need to know more. I need to grow more. I need to have more. What if they ask about this? Um, so that's a, that's a really, I think a lot of people would identify with that. Henderson, you had your hand up. So um, this comes from uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, where it says, um, what you've heard from me in the presence of uh, many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I remember meeting with a guy. I was getting up at like 6 in the morning to meet with this guy, and he would flake out. He wouldn't, mm-hmm. he wouldn't meet. And... Uh, I remember this verse came to mind that this is not a faithful man. This is not somebody I, I ought to be trying to pour my time into. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Yeah. I think that's one of those tips and tricks for discipleship that you learn over time is you have to be strategic. We only have a limited amount of time and resources, right? And so that's one of the things that you can say is, man, if you miss, if you miss a meeting, again, like life is, life is urgent, and I want to pour into someone who's going want to want to take it. That's really... That's really insightful. Catherine. Um, With the resource idea, I think I convinced myself, too, I don't have enough resources to give. Mm. And God will 
take me where he needs me to go. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a wrong thinking I lean to. Mm-hmm. So maybe a scarcity mindset a little bit instead of just, man, I want to say yes to this. If you've called me to make disciples, you'll provide the resources I need. Yeah? Penny. She's like, get me a mic. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Well, you said speaking to the mic. You, you, so. you did the right thing, Penny. Uh, I guess the thing that hinders me or that I let hinder me is I don't feel that I have the capability or the knowledge mm-hmm. and that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Mm. I just talked to a young man on the phone for over an hour, and I've been praying for him uh, since. Uh, he's, a, he's a young man who's been in my life since he was a little guy. Mm. And he's kind of really, I talked to him for over an hour, and mm. I got to the point where I didn't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. And I found it difficult to end the conversation. So I, I really... I really need prayer in being able to talk to other people and tell them what's in my heart. Mm. It's very difficult. Mm. Thanks, Penny. Let me give one quick insight on that. Part of community groups is you're learning how to have spiritual conversations in a very relaxed setting with other Christians who are trying to learn to have spiritual conversations. So sometimes putting your thoughts in words and experiences into into words can be really really challenging that's a part of what weekly community group is for is to practice those conversations a couple more brandon in the back incorrectly discerning whether god is opening a door or not and relying too much on that Mm. like you know is this a god ordained thing or is this just something on the street Mm. and if it's just something on the street missing that opportunity because you're relying does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah I saw maybe one more hand over here, and then we'll do Andrew in the back. So Lucas and then Andrew, and then I have a second question for you. Uh, I feel like for me it's like waiting for people to be interested. Mm. Um, like at my other job, I just, like they know that I believe in God. They know mm. how like important my relationship with God is. So I've had them like come up to me when they're interested, asking like, hey, what does it even mean to believe in God or stuff like that, mm. instead of like going to them. So I feel like for me it's comfort and just waiting like once they're ready they'll come instead of going to them when they're not ready and just helping them be ready mm-hmm. um so that's kind of like something that stops me yeah i think there's some emotional intelligence that's required right like there's a certain sense of earning the right to be heard kind of a thing but there's also and this would go to yours as well brandon that we cast the seed wildly you know we don't know the soil of people's hearts and sometimes people many people actually will get angry at first at you. Say, How can you be so arrogant to say this out of the other thing? But that seed will plant. That will take root in their life. Many times, people who have started angry at me have come back and thanked me for, for speaking truth to their life and, and, and whatnot. But I think just being open to those, to those opportunities and praying, saying, God, on this, on this shift at work, you know, I'm here. I'm ready. And when there's little slivers of time, I'm ready to go. Andrew, one more. Like miss not being able to put it into proper words mm-hmm. or people who've had church hurt that's really tricky to get around and like get to the core of who christ is because they've had a fake christ in a sense yeah. be presented to them so. mm. that's huge i think the fact what what he mentioned in case you can't hear didn't hear it was church hurt and um sometimes 
uh, as you may begin to have a spiritual conversation with someone, you care for their soul, they immediately come at you with church hurt, right? Different things that have come on and whatever else. One of the things, uh, one of the tools you can put in your toolbox is this. Man, God hates that thing too. What, how did the church hurt you? Well, the church hurt me because my trust was betrayed by a beloved pastor. God hates betrayal like that, and he died for that sin, right? So not defending the church, not defending everything done in the name of Christianity, um, but, but those, can be, those can be really tricky, tricky conversations. Um, listen, here's a, here's a follow-up. So if those are some things that are hindering you, what helps you disciple people? How are you helped in discipling people? Maybe in the last couple of years, you've become a far more active discipler. Um, what helps you in making disciples? You're like, I don't know, just preach a sermon. Let's do that. <laughs> Quit requiring so much of me. <laughs> what do we got? Seeing fruit. Seeing, fruit. Seeing the Lord work mm. makes you want to continue to pour mm. in, reach out, find more, be a part of more people's growth mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an act of faith. All discipling is an act of faith. When God gifts us with those pictures, man, it does. It, it makes us excited. Paulette. Remembering that God said that some plant the seed, you, you might give an encouraging word to someone yeah. and that plants a seed and, and then they might come back to you yeah. or you might run into them again or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great word. Someone used this illustration that sometimes uh, you can think of coming to Christ as A to Z, like the whole alphabet, and they might be at letter, you know, whatever, M, and you move them to letter N with a conversation. Sometimes you get to reap the cross, you know, the, the, the crossing uh, over from death to life. Matt. Uh, being a public Christian, not like Lucas said, everybody at his work knows that he's a Christian and it's important. So not hiding. I want to compliment Matt. He lets everyone at, this, at his job know that he's a Christian. That's, that's huge. Matt's one of our pastors, in case you don't know that. Um, that's why that's hysterical. No, but that's exactly right. Living, living an open life, you'll actually invite, you'll invite conversations you didn't ask for um, sometimes because of that. Someone in the back has the microphone. Okay. There you go, Also, Karen. to see the need in people. When I see their need, uh-huh. that made me invite mm. them because I think their life could be much better if they know about Jesus. Yep. Different things prompt us in, uh, in maybe moving from inaction to action and seeing the need for you, Karen. Is that Becky? I was going to say being comfortable with letting people into your life and mm. then being generous with your time because I think a lot of discipleship happens naturally as you walk along with someone in their yeah. life. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing that keeps us apart is, um, is just fear of openness and, and those kinds of things. Joy in the back. Here it comes. Jim's quick. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. I've been married uh, 57 years. and uh, well, hey, That's worth hey, clapping for. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, many people have asked me, how did you do it? And I had two simple words, faith and hope. Mm. For they, they both go together, and you cannot have one without the other. Mm. And it's been, as you guys know, I've, I've been through 11 hell for my with my wife, uh, cancer, my wife, cancer. And by the grace of God, we have survived and we're still s- s- surviving. And 
Every time I meet somebody, I always say, are you a believer? Some just says yes, and some says no. But I says, hey, so don't forget, we live by the grace of God, and that's the way it is. Thank you. Joy, thank you for that. I want you to know, I, I got a picture one time from a pastor buddy of mine. He said, look, I, I just bumped into one of your members over here at In-N-Out, and he's sitting here, he's got a picture with, with, uh, with Joy there. That's part of Joy, just your living out loud as a Christian and engaging in conversation. I love that about you. One more, Sharon. Yeah, I think the thing that um, helps me is remembering it's not, you don't have to wait for a program. Mm -hmm. You don't have to wait for someone to say, hey, we're going to have a discipleship program at your church. And and just realizing that meeting with people um, around me and like like Becky said, sharing your life with them. But sometimes we tend to think. I need to wait for that special Bible study or program, but we, we don't have to. We just yeah. live life with people and tell yeah. them about Jesus. I love that. Thank you. Listen, lots more good insight to get to. Um, I have some things I want to get to this morning as well. Thank you very much for, um, for your feedback. Let me, let me close this idea of disciples, um, disciple with this idea, that if you are a Christian and someone asks you, are you being discipled, your answer always and without hesitation is an unequivocal, resounding yes. Okay? Always. Immediately. Let me show you a verse on the screen. It's, it's jotted down in your notes so you can look at it later, but here it is. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. Are you being discipled, child of God? Yes! By your heavenly Father. Always. It's nonsense to say, I can't grow, no one's discipling me. False. You are being discipled. Now, how do cults form? Cults form by taking one or two verses in the Bible and building an entire belief system around that. If you were to grab this, you would form a weird cult that makes you prideful thinking you don't need other teachers in your life. You don't need other people in your life. You don't need a community. That also is nonsense. The heavenly father who is discipling would tell you, nonsense, that's a cult, stop, listen to him. So that's one verse in the context of many. The Bible's clear, get into a good church, get under sound teaching, Teaching that actually opens your Bible, reads the Bible, looks to understand it, and holds one another accountable to obey and live the Scriptures. I pray that if you ever leave this church, that you would go to a church that is Jesus-loving and Bible-believing. Those are two giant landmarks that you say, if that church has those things going for it, Man, love covers a multitude of errors. Our family, our church family has all kinds of holes and problems, things we don't do well. When you go to a new church family, if you move to Idaho like everyone's doing, so popular, um, <laughs> you're going to get to a church and go, Dave, I found the perfect church. I'll say, you're wrong. Just give it time. Right? Give it time. And, and then there will be issues, and that's okay. Do they love Jesus? Do they exalt Jesus? Do they actually open their Bible and, and seek to, to understand and live it? If you're doing that, you're on the right track. 
So who's discipling you? Your pastor is discipling you. Why is it important who stands behind this mic and leads us in song? Because they're discipling you. The songs we sing, the art we show disciples us. It forms our imagination and our heart. Who else is discipling you? You know what community group leaders? They are not discussion leaders. They are under shepherds to the under shepherds. Who's the senior pastor of our church? Jesus, right? He is the, he is the chief shepherd. He is the senior pastor, so as we have community group leaders, I want you to know we as elders are in the lives of our community group leaders in a unique way. We say follow Christ and pour into, shepherd other people uh, as you follow Christ. That's the structure that we have here. So Christian, you are being discipled by God himself, by showing up. Joy just gave a great example of submission. No mic, no mic. I don't want to use the mic. Jim said use the mic. He said, Okay. That's just, I, again, there's a bigger picture of why we're using Mike, right? It's not, it's not even just for the people in here. Joy just submitted. Joy's an older guy than Jim. He could have demanded all kinds of things. He didn't. He just meekly said, okay, I'll use the mic, right? So that's just a picture showing up to church and saying, God, we're, we're here to be a part of this. All right. Now, this brings us to an essential quality and focus of a disciple who is making disciples like Jesus, and it's the word discipline. Disciples who make disciples, discipline, it's all sort of merging together. We're going to sort it out for you, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're in this series in 2 Timothy, one life to live. I want to live it well. If you want to live life well, it's uphill. You don't get to just coast through that. You don't somehow fall into a well-lived life. Huh, I've got this incredible legacy. Huh, who knew? I had no idea. No, no. You're pushing uphill. You're hiking uphill. You're overcoming challenges. Man, I love that picture. Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm giving it all to you. Sweet. What does God not tell you? All the battles, all the loss, all the toil, all the confusion that's about to come. That's the story of Scripture. What I want you to do is I want you, for, I want you to listen for the three immediately recognized uh, people that immediately grab our brain and think about discipline. Okay, these are super easy metaphors to grab hold of, and I think that's why Paul gave it to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. All right, in your notes, I have this broken down. We're just going to look at these three uh, metaphors that Paul's using on discipline. First of all, think about these three. They all have really clear goals. All three, as they are disciplined, know why they're being disciplined, why they're disciplining their life, why they are dying to self, and why they are working hard. Secondly, all require delayed gratification. Parents, you are intuitively, whether it was ever given to you or not, you are intuitively teaching your kids about delayed gratification because life works that way. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, all work really hard now and get rewarded later. That's called delayed gratification. Finally, all need the help of others. Super obvious in the soldier and athlete, there's a team involved, right? What does a farmer need? Help from God. It's called the weather. It's called the mystery of the soil and nutrients and all of that. There's all kinds of factors that are needed. No one does this by themselves. 
So here's how we're going to do. As in all things, we look to King Jesus as our example, our guide, our perfect picture of what, of what we're to follow. So we're going to start with Jesus with each of these. We're going to set our minds on the words and life of Christ and sort of ask ourselves the question, how did Jesus live this out? Okay? So soldier Jesus. Now one of the things you can do with scripture that's called spiritualizing is you can grab one little thing. I could grab that we're in the Lord's army, and I can give you like a nine-point sermon all about that. That'll preach, right? But what I want to do is I want to discipline our minds to say what aspect of a soldier does Paul highlight. He doesn't aspect every aspect of all military life. He has some very clear things. So you may want to jot these down as well. This is how I interpret what he talks about. Suffering, not getting entangled or distracted from the mission, and his sole aim is to, to please his superior. Those are the things he draws out about a soldier that requires discipline. Timothy, pastor, share in suffering like a good soldier. Do these things. So think about Jesus as soldier. How did he do this? You guys did so well on the first Q&A part that we're not going to take time on the second one because we'd run out of time. You all have good thoughts. I've thought ahead. Let me just... Uh, toss out a couple, and in your community group this week, you can, you can uh, discuss more. But number one is this. His life was one of suffering, humilita- hu- humiliating servitude. So don't even think about the physical torment yet. Think about just how humble and humiliating it is to be the king of kings with the most and best and serving in the lowest regard. That was his lifestyle. Eventually, it turned into physical torment and an unlawful, unwarranted murder. That was his life. That's what he came to do. On paying taxes, this is a brilliant answer that Jesus gives. In terms about getting entangled with with stuff of, of current affairs, right? Jesus, he's being set up as a trap. Should we pay taxes or not? What does he say? He gives the answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's. So he doesn't say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like city stuff. I don't engage in anything with the government. I'm just, it's just me and God. It's just spiritual. He doesn't do that. But he doesn't get entangled into a debate about taxes, right? Whose inscription is on that? Caesar's. Give to Caesar what his inscription is on. What is your inscription? You are made in the image of God. Give to God that whose inscription is on you back to himself. He said repeatedly, my aim is to please my father. Jesus lived perfectly what it looks like to please your commanding officer. Do you know that Jesus called Peter Satan? Peter. St. Peter, if you're from a Catholic background. The big, like, this is a huge thing. Peter, one of his disciples, get behind me, Satan. Why does Jesus call one of his friends, one of his followers, one of his disciples, Satan? It's for a very specific reason, and it's this. Matthew 16, 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Does that sound like a person absolutely focused on the mission and not getting distracted? Even his own disciples, his closest inner posse of three, even Peter, 
He'll say, you're a hindrance to me. Nothing will distract me from my mission. Man, that's a, that's a picture for our life, isn't it? I'm reading a book called Undistracted by Bob Goff right now. I'm two chapters in. And he's talking about the idea that, man, you've got to cut out the clutter the way that a horse has blinders on. I'll tell you why God calls me to church and community group every week. I need at least two times a week of just shots of like, yes, this is what my life's about. This is what I want. So much to distract. Jesus sought God's will and not his own. John 5, 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not what is my own, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is the perfect example of what a soldier looks like. How about us? Let's move on to sort of how it relates to us. We as Christians get enlisted into the Lord's army. That's how it looks for us. What an accurate picture, what an accurate picture of the Christian life. Paul says, join me in suffering. Come on in, the water's fine. Right? He is being really clear of what he's calling Timothy into. This is the lifestyle you're called into. Huge mistake in discipleship. Come to Jesus, your life will get better. That's a true statement, but you should probably add eventually. Come to Jesus, your life will get better eventually. In the end, your life's amazing. You would never, ever make another trade for that. But in the early parts of it, and maybe through the rest of your earthly life, isn't it true that it will seem to get worse? Come to Jesus. You'll lose your closest friends. In fact, you won't just lose them. They'll actually not only defriend you, but they'll hate the things you stand for. Come to Jesus. Your family might disown you. Come to Jesus. It'll make your job way harder. Because the stuff you used to do without any burn of conscience will now eat at you. And you've got tough choices to make. Do I keep my job or please the one who enlisted me? Join, share in suffering. Man, that word share with our play button is loaded, isn't it? Share means evangelism. Share means the good life of Jesus. But share also means in suffering. What kind of suffering? Well, we played dodgeball this last uh, two weeks ago at camp. 100 kids versus 100 kids in this giant area chucking the ball. Uh, Eli, raise your, raise your hand. That's how he broke his thumb. You know it's a good game when it breaks bones. So we're out playing dodgeball, and every single ball I got, almost every ball, I would get it and I would hand it to a kid. Because evidently camp is for kids, not for me. But I, so I'm giving them to kids, kind of letting them play and have their fun. But once in a while, I, would, I was just always watching the other side. And once in a while when I got a ball... I would go find a counselor who's doing particular damage to our team, and I would just sort of go like this through the crowd, wham, and I would chuck it at the counselor, get him out. Once in a while, I'd go after a kid if he was bigger and he was doing particular damage. I bring up dodgeball because of this. Do I care about the kids standing in the very far back? Do I lob it and try to nail them? Absolutely not. Why? Because I'm thinking strategic. Timothy pastor, leader in this church, stay put in Ephesus. By the way, a war's coming. By the way, if you're making an impact for the kingdom, Satan is coming after you, not with dodgeballs. You are a target. Let me open this principle broader. Christian, if you are getting shot at, if you are taking huge enemy fire right now, it probably means you're flying over enemy, enemy territory. Keep at it. Now, there's suffering that comes just because you're dumb. Let's just be honest. I know, I, I know because I'm dumb too. 
I bring on my own suffering. My sin brings with it its own suffering and pain and remorse. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you take a stand for Jesus, what I'm talking about is when you get your blinders on and you say, God, I want to make my life about one thing and one thing only. Help me to be integrated, filled with integrity, where my work life and my home life and my thought life and my money life and my entertainment life are submitted to you, King Jesus, because I want to please you. You will take enemy fire. And if God can't get at your marriage, he'll go after your kids if you have kids. If he can't get after your kids, he'll go after your health. If he can't get after that, he'll go after other areas. It's a proven known tactic of the enemy. I see it all the time, and I'm on guard. I so appreciate, by the way, I so appreciate some of you are particularly burdened to pray for church leaders by name. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate when our elders and our elders' families are prayed for uh, by name. It's not because... um, we're, we're any higher, it's because we're, we're a target. And it would bring the name of Christ down through the mud if we were to fall in some way. There's another kind of suffering, that is this. Paul's saying to Timothy, your days of leisure are done. You're not your own. I've never joined the army, but my brother has. And the military is a little bit different, right? It's not a nine-to-five job. It's a 365, seven days a week, 24-7 job. That's it. In fact, here's something interesting about a soldier. A soldier no longer is her own. Her body, mind, talent, time belong to the military. There's whole documents you sign saying, you, we own you. Now think about this as an apt description for the Christian life. Even if on leave, someone in the military can be recalled at any time, for any reason, without explanation. But I had leave. Too bad. Show up. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? That's the military. So that's, that's, a, that's such a great picture. Jesus is the same. Remember that people would want to enlist with Jesus. They'd come everywhere he went. People would I want in. I want to enlist. So here's, here's a little verbal boot camp that he gave to them one time. I want to enlist. Jesus says, are you sure? I'm homeless. Another person, I want to enlist. But first, let me go and bury my father. And he says this, are you sure? Because there's no time for that. Another one comes and says, I want to enlist, but first, let me have a goodbye party. Uh, You're not fit for service. No, thank you. Man, it's remarkable. Jesus did not beg and plead and cajole and, and have one more verse of just as I am to get as many people to follow him as he could. If anything, he gave them boot camp. He started poking and prodding and saying, here's what it's going to cost you. If you're a disciple maker like Jesus, you don't, so, you don't win them with candy and then sort of show the hard part later on in the discipleship process. You call them up front and say, man, this is a hard life. You ready to sacrifice? You ready to die to yourself? You'll never regret this, ever. But man, this is going to cost you. Jesus speaks to the dual concern that Paul speaks of when he talks about a soldier, that of not getting entangled in civilian affairs and also not getting distracted. Think about entanglement for a second. We happen to live in a world-class place for scuba diving. Monterey, the whole Monterey Bay area is, 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 attracts people from all over the world. And one of the things that happens when you're out there is you get to sort of fly around these kelp forests, right? So you're suddenly like a bird and you're in a 3D way just exploring all this stuff. But in a thick kelp forest, you've got these pieces of equipment that are essential to your livelihood called tanks. That's what keeps you down there. That's the air that allows you to go fly around these like little landscapes underwater. 
seascapes. And so what happens with air tanks is they're big and cumbersome, and they get tangled in kelp. And if you're sort of prone to panic, um, take medication before scuba diving, because, <laughs> because it feels panicky to sort of get all tangled up in kelp. Now, the coolest piece of equipment by far is one of the least ex- uh, pieces of equipment, least expensive piece of equipment, and it's this. I wore a knife on my calf when I scuba dive. It's awesome. I think it's there, so in case a great white is eating one of my kids, I can go, ah, and like save my kids. I've never had to do that yet, but it's there in case I need it. But the only way I've used it so far is this. I have reached down, grabbed my knife, and cut free. I've actually never been able to cut myself free. This is a whole other lesson. You scuba dive with a buddy. I've been able to cut free other people from their entanglements. As soldiers of Jesus Christ, you will be tempted constantly without even trying. Try as you might. You will get entangled in things. You will get entangled in the world's value systems, in the world's questions, in the world's solutions. And not only should you be on the lookout for cutting yourself free, but you'll probably need a buddy at times to say, hey, can you help me out? How do you cut yourself free? You cut yourself free with the sword of the Spirit. Come back to the Word. Don't just read the Bible. Live biblically. Think biblically. Talk biblically. That's how you remain yourself, uh, remain free. Cut yourself loose. By the way, this is, a, this is an endemic right now where Christians are leaving the church in groves, in masses. Because instead of seeking to please their commander-in-chief that they vowed to follow for the rest of their life, they're doing the alternative. If you're not a God-pleaser, you are by nature a man-pleaser. That's the other option. There's an immediate gratification, by the way, to pleasing or displeasing people that you see. It feels immediately good to get affirmation. It feels immediately bad to get rejection. That is tempting many, many, many Christians away from fearing. Think about the illogical nature of this. Tempting them away from fearing the almighty creator of the universe who will one day judge and hold every idle thought accountable. And in place of fearing God... They're giving more weight to pleasing their coworkers, their neighbors. Sometimes people are pleasing people on social media they don't even know or like. But that's the temptation, and it's wooing people away. Remember the words of Jesus. The world will hate you without cause. The world will hate you without cause. And if anyone lived the life of suffering that bore that out, it was Jesus Christ. It eventually got him killed. I spent the most amount of time on soldier on purpose. Let's move on to athlete. How about Jesus as athlete? What is Paul specifically looking at? That he's looking to a crown, that he competes according to the rules. Those are the two things about an athlete that Paul is drawing out. So think about Jesus as athlete. Think about his words. Think about the lifestyle he lived. What is it about these two aspects that Paul is drawing out that Jesus lived out? Well, number one is he promises reward and he refers to it often. Jesus never said, lay down your life now and follow me just because. That would actually be enough. I'm God. 
follow me. Okay, that's good. That's good enough. But he actually unashamedly talks about reward. He talks about the payoff of the discipline. Remember delayed gratification? Sometimes you need to teach your kids, just obey. You don't get to know anymore. You know why? Because of Joshua. Joshua just had to be strong and courageous. He just had to go obey. God didn't give him all the reasons. Sometimes you give your kids some of the reasons for it. Sometimes you give them, actually, Joshua got this. Obey because you're going to get all this land. I'm going to give this all to you. Okay. There's times you say, trust me on this one. It's a no. Something better is coming. Can you hold out? Yeah. Once in a while, I do this to my kids. You guys have heard me say this before. I say, yes, you can have uh, a Skittle or something, something small now. You can have that now, or you can wait. And as your dad, trust me, you should wait. What do you want to do? I give them total, they, they can pick the Skittle right now. And to their chagrin, they're like, Marianne's ice cream. I gave up a Skittle for Marianne's ice cream. Yes, you did. It's called delayed gratification. Let's journal. That's not really what I do, but that's the lesson, right? Uh, but giving them some choice in the matter. You know, it's, so, it's such a blessing. I think every time my kids are like, oh, I see the look on your face. I'm going to wait. I trust my dad. He's got something better for me. Jesus talks all the time about that. By the way, bear insults and get excluded for my name's sake. Great is your reward. Love your enemies for great is your reward. Give and be hospitable to those who can't repay you. I promise you you'll be repaid. Great is your reward. Jesus talked over and over and over about this crown. Looking forward to a crown. How about that second part? Did anyone compete or live according to the rules quite like Jesus? If you have enemies that are trying to condemn you, and you were to say, hey, I invite you, uh, you know, this, this Wednesday night at 7 to come on over to my house, and you can just bring your accusations. You probably wouldn't take anyone up on that. No one would want to do that. No one would want invite, to invite the introspection that Becky's talking about. But Jesus had that happened to him. His enemies couldn't come up with things against him. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. To live them out. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Listen to this next part. This has bearing for every parent, every Sunday school teacher, every community group leader, anyone who's discipling anyone. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. An athlete competes according to the rules. So how about us? We get drafted. That's our part. We get drafted. With the first selection in the 2022 draft, the Dallas Cowboys select. No, the Cowboys would never select first because they're never in last place. Um, But whatever team you, you pick... And with that, what they do is they show this drama. This is now primetime drama for millions around the U.S. Their lives hang on this moment. 
and they show inside the living room, packed with family and friends, that athlete who's sitting there waiting to hear, am I going to be drafted number one? And whoever gets drafted number one is immediately handed the keys to unimaginable wealth. Fame like, like they couldn't have dreamt of as a kid. They are just given this, this giant thing. This is something like what happens, but on a far grander scale, when a person is drafted onto the Lord's team. You're immediately given wealth beyond your wildest dreams, fame with the one who matters, that he knows your name, far, far more than you'd ever dream possible. And here's probably the best part. It's not just that you're drafted from a losing team or something like that. You're actually freed from a wicked, evil team that is steering you toward death. You don't just go from the losing side to the winning side. You go from the wicked, evil, bondage side to the freedom, winning, victorious, powerful side. That's what we sing. That's what we are singing up here. That's why we choose. I love that you brought this out, Lucas. That's why we choose to worship whether we feel like it or not. We stand on some unalterable realities. So Christian, you are called to compete. We see this all the time in sports. Lance Armstrong is a great example of this. It's not the most talented or the most hardworking that wins. You could be the most talented and the most hardworking, and if you cheat, you lose. If you don't finish, you lose. Lance Armstrong won seven Tour de France's. I don't know how you say Tour de France plural, but that's how I'm going to say it. Seven. But now, right now, today, on the record books, he's won precisely zero. Why? Because not only was he caught cheating and lied about it for years, but he finally came on and said, I cheated. His rationale, everyone else was cheating as well. He wasn't wrong. But by cheating, they stripped him of seven tour wins. So competing according to the rules is your daily task. This is personal holiness, right? It's more expedient to do it this way, but God, you'll never bless that in the end. Like Lance Armstrong, my sin will find me out on the front end or the back end. It may find you out after you die but your sin will find you out. God, help me compete according to the rules. Man, go read 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Uh, It's the whole thing about people competing for a perishable wreath for a little trophy. And he's arguing from less to greater. If people would compete and discipline themselves and give four years of their life for 32 seconds of a run, how much more would we do that for something that never, ever fades? It doesn't go away. It's a prize that lasts forever. All right, Farmer Jesus Aspects being brought out by Paul. Hardworking, and that he gets the first share of the crops. And just look at the life of Jesus. He was a hardworking farmer. He toiled morning till night. He had to find moments uh, to slip away and be with his father to rejuvenate. He would work so hard, he'd work through meals. Sounds like a farmer to me. He'd like forget to eat because he's just there meeting needs. In fact, he said, my food is to do the will of my Father, and so I'm going to keep, keep at it. His stories and his lessons were filled with all kinds of agricultural, laws of the harvest kinds of things. You plant in one season, you harvest in another. You plant one kind of seed, that's what you're going to get. 
He just lived out and talked this out over and over. Here's what's fascinating about the life of Jesus. His critics must, must be absolutely in shock at sort of what has come of Christianity with, with compared to how it was left when, when he died. He died and rose again. Yes, he appeared to, to 500 people at one time, but it was still a pretty small thing. Unimaginable to anyone alive at that time, unimaginable for the next couple hundred years, that it would be what it is today. This is the law of the harvest. And this is the abundant truth that he taught us. So how about us? We get hired on. As a farmer, we get hired on. Jesus uses this exact picture in a parable where he talks about the hired hands. Let me close this portion with Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're going to move into a time of communion, and uh, team, I'm just going to pull an audible with this. We're going to, um, if you don't have one of these, raise your hand. Someone will get one for you, but many of you grab these on the way in. Um, Over this next song, I would just invite you to take communion. And um, I've been talking today that we're to have self-discipline, that disciples of Jesus are disciplined. We get enlisted, we get recruited, we get hired on. It's never really an honest answer. I don't think it's an accurate answer to be following Jesus and say, I'm bored. If you're bored in life and you're a disciple of Jesus, please come talk to me. There's something missing. You may be at rest. You may be in a season of waiting, but you can't possibly be bored as a soldier, an athlete, or farmer the way that God describes it. Here's the reality, though. In reality, every single disciple is tempted in at least one of these three areas. As a soldier, we're tempted to go AWOL. We're tempted to just bail on the whole thing. The Bible calls those apostates. As an athlete, we're tempted to cheat, cut corners, skip workouts. When no one's looking, do the wrong thing. As farmer, we're tempted to get lazy. We're tempted to give up. We lose heart in doing good. Here's the beautiful thing. We celebrate today this reality. This is a prayer God always answers. He answers every prayer, actually. But when we hear, as soldier, we go AWOL. As athlete, we're tempted to cheat. As farmer, we're tempted to get lazy. We say, God, help me. And he does. And he will. We celebrate today this reality that our sins are forgiven that death has been swallowed up, that our defecting, cheating, and laziness that will demand an account from God has been paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we come around the Lord's table and celebrate this morning. Jesus, it's because of your finished work that we get to strive at the good work. I pray this morning there would be a restfulness In those words you said on the cross, it is finished. God, you went to the cross in your son because of cheats, because of the lazy, because of those who are traitors. Jesus, 
We freely admit the temptations that sit right at our door waiting for us to devour us. We hide in you this morning. We celebrate the victory that we have in you. God, you've called us into the most important story and the most important struggle of all time because it lasts for all eternity. Thank you. Thank you for that. God, we celebrate your sacrifice this morning.